A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. In the late 70s, I worked as a park ranger for a summer job while going to university in the fall and winter semesters. As long as there was no forest fire ban, we allowed campers to have campfires on their campsites. 
One wet Sunday morning, after a very rainy night, I was coming off the midnight to eight shift. I was alone on duty in a park with over 200 campsites, something that wouldn't happen now. Around seven, I heard this god-awful screeching coming from the tenting side of the park. I ran over, to find a guy rolling around in the dirt, with his friend trying to douse the fire on his pants. They had not made kindling for their fire before the rain had started the night before. Instead, they had gotten drunk. Now, in the wet cold morning, they wanted to start a fire to warm up and probably to cook over. They were probably still drunk. Drunk or sober, they were stupid. It was so wet that it would have been a challenge to get the fire going with split kindling, but it was impossible to set fire to round junks of firewood. So, one of these guys was spraying barbecue lighter fluid on the wet firewood when the other guy struck a match. Some of the lighter fluid had spilled down his nylon rain suit. When it caught fire, the plastic had melted into the guy's legs. Anyhow, the guy's legs were burned pretty badly. The park is 50 kilometers from the city, where the hospital is. I got the guy in the cab of the old 4x4 truck that we used to haul picnic tables and outhouses around, and I beat it for the city, doing everything that old truck could sew on the highway. The old truck was so badly out of line that sometimes it felt like the truck wanted to go crab-like across the road. I had the window down, no air conditioning in the truck, and the thing was rattling like a bucket of nails. Keep in mind that there were no cell phones then, and we only had spotty VHF radio coverage in the park. There was no way and no time to call for an ambulance. It was down to me and the old truck. The truck was an old beater, no overhead lights to flash, and no siren either. When I got to the city, I was going about 130 kilometers an hour. I hasten to add that this was a summer Sunday morning, and there was zero traffic. Except for the cop. I met him, blew past him and did not slow. He turned around and chased me, lights flashing and sirens screaming. He chased me right to the emergency entrance of the hospital like that. He was at my door as I was getting out, and he was yelling at me, losing his mind. Until the smell hit him. The camper guy had gone into shock, and was pretty well unresponsive. But the smell of the burnt skin and melted plastic was not something I want to smell again. I told the cop to hold on, I would be out to talk to him in a few minutes. I put the camper on my shoulder and carried him into the hospital emergency unit like he was a side of beef. Hey, it was over 40 years ago, and I was in great shape back then. The nurses got the doctor, and they started to work on the guy. After I got their particulars for the inevitable report, I went outside to the old park pickup. The police car was gone. But someone, I presume the cop, had thrown his guts up by the end of the park truck. About a week later, we were notified by the camper's family that he was stable, and on the way to recovery. And life in the park went on, as if it had never happened. I worked for a short time as a forest ranger, although I'm no longer in that field of work. This was my first and only posting as a ranger, even though I worked in many areas of the profession. The whole experience was odd, uncomfortable, and ended rather abruptly. I won't name my exact location or say how long ago this was, as I don't want to receive any flack from former supervisors for divulging confidential information. To satisfy your curiosity, Reddit, we'll just call this area West Virginia. I had been stationed at this particular place for about three months when something happened early one morning that shocked me so much that, 
To this day, I don't think I could ever work in the forest industry again without starting to break down sobbing. Here's what happened. I was scheduled to work from 4 a.m. until noon that day and only had a few small fires to deal with, so I wasn't all worn out or anything. When I decided to stop at one of my back road crossings we used as a shortcut, I got out of my truck and stretched, looking up at the stars before packing it back in and heading off again into the woods. Almost as soon as I started driving again, something caught my attention off this semi-large hill near where I had parked. There were no houses for miles, just rolling hills and trees as far as the eye could see. For some reason, though, there was this light shining through the trees that caught my attention. They were far enough off the road, and I couldn't see what was causing this, so I got out of the truck and walked up to investigate. It had this loud, strange noise accompanying it and this bright ball of light shining through the treetops, illuminating the ground by at least 40 feet all around. I thought it might be somebody using some sort of industrial strength spotlight to look for deer, as we had problems with poachers in these parts as often as once a week. But as I drew closer, I could tell that something just wasn't right. The closer I got to whatever it was, the more intense that horrible sound became until suddenly, everything stopped dead silent, and I entered the small clearing on the other side of a few large trees. There was this thing in front of me, just under one of those pine trees, but it wasn't human and darn sure wasn't dressed like any poacher. It looked reptilian, to say the least, standing on two legs and had arms and hands with opposable thumbs. All I could think was it could safely be described as bipedal. Its eyes were large and yellow, even amber, depending on how much light was shining off of them at that moment, and they contracted immediately upon me seeing them, standing there staring back at me with my mouth hanging wide open. The thing was also built like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. It was at least 6 foot 5, its fingers were almost as long as my forearms. The scariest thing about it, though, wasn't just that I could see everything on it but more the fact that it looked like something out of a horror movie. It was also covered with small bony protrusions along the neck, about an inch high all the way down both legs until it ended near some clawed feet. Its neck was short for its body mass, but that did not halt its movements whatsoever. This thing looked like a lean killing machine and could have taken me out if it so wanted. This thing straight up resembled some of the scariest creatures I've ever seen in any sci-fi film. I'm not ashamed to admit that by the time I left the forest that night, I had needed a new pair of pants. So, it stood there, staring off in my direction, but I don't think it noticed me directly, at least I don't think it did. It decided to take off to who knows where. It disappeared in a blur, faster than I even saw it in the first place. I literally cannot recount this story without breaking down. I'm sorry if this lacks good detail, grammar, or if any of it makes sense. I'm a terrible storyteller, but I can tell you that when it disappeared, my immediate reaction was to run as fast as I could towards my truck, without ever looking back over my shoulder even once. There's not a single time I've ever told anybody about this where they didn't do one of these three things, laugh, stare at me like I was crazy, or flat out accuse me of lying. I've lived in this town all my life. I know all the weird traditions that come with living in a place as remote as mine. But nothing explains what happens at our deer park. I used to come out here most evenings during the pandemic, park up by the base of the hill overlooking the sanctuary and just immerse myself in nature. I was always mindful of the distance I had to keep from the deer, 
particularly during mating season, and it wasn't like the deer didn't know what a car was. These were in their own reserve, sure, but the trail cut right through their vast fields and they'd grown accustomed to seeing cars all manner of times in the day and evening. Which is what makes the situation all the more unsettling. Starting last week, a sign was put up on the entrance gate to the park, impossible to miss as the car slowed and the tires rolled over the metal grates. With it being the late hours and very few cars on the road, I decided to stop and read it in full. A polite notice to our valued visitors entering the Oboro Nature Reserve. Our deer are exhibiting unusual behaviors and we are politely requesting you observe the following guidelines in place as to best protect yourself and the well-being of our deer. 1. While the park is open 24 hours a day, we are recommending visitors do not stop their cars during observable grazing periods and on midsummer nights. You are welcome to drive through and observe from a distance, but please do not slow down or stop. 2. Should you be slowed or stopped at any other time and the deer be curious by your vehicle, act calmly and do not speed up. Let them inspect you and judge you as a safe passerby. If they begin snorting, that is your cue to leave. 3. There have been reports of deer standing on their hind legs and remaining idle in the fields. These rumors are a fallacy. Please do not pay any attention to them. 4. There is a black stag that holds dominion over the western herd. His antlers are sharp and his stride is impressive, but do not attempt to approach him. Please pay him the respect you would normally and do not stare at any of the females in his harem, he will charge you. Bucks are not friendly. 5. Deer remember faces. They can recognize you from a distance and will verify your smell as you get closer, listening intently the entire time. There are many of them and only one of you. You would do well to mind that. 6. Lastly, no matter what salacious rumors have been propagating amongst the community, the deer are not congregating in the dead of night. Deer are social animals that sleep and graze together in a herd. This is normal. The deer are acting normally. Drive safely. Keep your doors locked and have a lovely drive in the Oboro Nature Reserve. Strange, right? The notice wasn't your usual steel sign with carefully embossed wording. Rather, it had been hastily marked up and nailed to the wall adjacent to the welcome sign, as if in a hurry. I'd not heard any sorts of rumors around town, and nobody had complained about the deer park. We're a population of maybe 2,000, so it's not hard for word to get about. Still, I had my routine and intended to stick to it. Some of the info was valuable for newcomers. There was indeed a large black buck who paraded the western herd. His name was Joe Joe and I fully believed he would gore anyone who outstayed their welcome or got too close. A beautiful specimen of muscle and authority. He ensured his harem never strayed too far and seemed to be borderline obsessive about making sure they never went across to the eastern side where the large swathes of trees sat. In fact, I'd observed him on a couple of occasions actively nudging or ramming younger males away from the split in the road and back to safety. On the rare occasion that a member of the herd crossed the line, he would refuse to acknowledge them and actively keep them away from entering, as if they were banished. As I drove through the archway, I realized I'd not seen many deer in the eastern section of the park, looking out my window and staring as the makeshift forest to my right and a burning question coming to the forefront of my mind that didn't leave as I reached the hill overlooking both sides of the hill where are the rest of the deer? It was unnerving to sit there and try to enact my ritual of riding under the clear night when there was a strict absence of the herd where they should be.
I tried to focus, but something was pulling my eyes back to looking at that spot time and time again. Eventually, I decided that I needed to get some fresh air and take a better look, satiate my curiosity and then, with my mind at ease, I can get back to finishing my blog. The air is humid when I step outside. No breeze and the stars are out on full display. Thank goodness for no light pollution in the countryside. I leave the engine running and walk to the barrier my car is parked in front of, leaning over and taking a pair of binoculars I bring for slower days when I want to see the deer in better detail. As I direct my vision to the eastern herd, I see something darting in the tree line. It's quick, hairy, and seemed to move the second my binoculars motioned towards it. Even a deer shouldn't be that spooked, especially from this distance. My joints seize up and I damn near drop the binoculars when I hear a familiar snorting from behind me. I turn and see Joe Joe, standing 15 feet from me, just by the rear of my car and his eyes gleaming in my rear lights. His head is low and his antlers are thick, sharp and aimed at me. In that moment, I don't know if he's going to charge and whether I should be fighting for my damn life. Instead, I do as I was instructed and stay still, not making sudden movements as he snorts again, closing the gap between us slowly. As he gets within five feet of me, he rears his head up. I see the most baffling expression on his face for a fleeting moment. Fear. Something ripples through the eastern forest and birds begin flying away in droves. Some of the deer herd in the western area are circling something and Joe Joe immediately bounds down and out of sight to control the chaos. I waste no time getting in my car and driving down after them, keeping the doors locked, the window open a crack and my speed at a decent crawl. As I come along the embankment that connects to the road, I see Joe Joe running full sprint towards another deer. He knocks the rival over and contorts the body as it skids across the grass and falls into the trail just ahead of my car. I know I'm not supposed to, but I stop the car and wait. In a choice between breaking the rules and breaking my car, I'll choose the former any day. The western herd deer under Joe Joe's command are gathering behind him, making horrific shrieks of terror. Joe Joe strides up and bows his head again in front of the still contorted deer, antlers on full display and dripping with black blood. It was a clear threat, do not come back here if you value your life. I started wondering how I'd safely get this deer out of the way, or if I could mount the grass on the other side and go around it, when I saw something horrific unfold in front of me. The body twisted itself around and the limbs snapped to reset themselves, the head still cracked at an ugly angle, bones sticking out of the sides as it got onto shaking legs. When it screamed, it sounded as if its lungs were filled with blood. A horrible, muted cry of anguish that backed up every other deer but Joe Joe. I don't know what was keeping this thing standing, but it let its head flop lazily around as it carefully backed away onto the eastern side of the reserve before bounding into the tree line as if nothing were wrong. My rational mind chalked it up to adrenaline and the instinct to survive, but it was impossible to shake the feeling that something was wrong. I carried on driving as soon as the deer was out of sight, not looking at Joe Joe or the others as I carried on down the trail. For the remaining few minutes, I felt unseen eyes staring intently at me until I crossed the threshold and back into civilization. I'd never been more grateful to see other humans. Or my bed. Something about the whole incident just took it out of me. As I slept that night, I dreamed I was a deer alongside Joe Joe, frolicking in the herd and grazing peacefully. But as I cast my eyes upwards to the sky, a bitter chill on the wind, 
I saw the moon bathed in an almost purple plume, a strange light cast onto the land and noises rustling from the woods opposite. I don't know how I knew this, but something in me instinctively knew we weren't supposed to go there. I saw shapes begin to emerge from the trees and that same horrible shriek ring out as I woke up in a sweat. I leaned forward to catch my breath and grab a glass of water. As I changed positions to reach for my nightstand, I swear I heard the sound of something running up the trail to my house. I was probably still half asleep, but that didn't make it any more damn unnerving. I decided it would be best to drive out the next night and confront my concerns head on. If I'm not going to sleep soundly, then I should use my time wisely and document what I'm seeing, maybe pass it to the rangers in the morning, right? When I drove back out there last night, the atmosphere was vastly different. A mist was enshrouding the trail and the majority of the deer on the western side huddled together, shaking and staring intently at the other side of the nature reserve. I couldn't see Jojo anywhere. Strange, I thought. Alpha males patrol their herds dutifully. Why wasn't he there? I parked up at my usual spot and, making sure he wasn't around, I pulled out my binoculars again and stared at the eastern area, the clouds beginning to part as the moon shone through. There was movement all along the tree line as shapes began emerging one by one. I think it took my mind a moment to process what I was seeing. I'd finally seen the deer on the eastern side, but they were wrong. Very, very wrong. Standing on their hind legs and taking confident, awkward steps, they marched out of the trees with their heads craned to the sky, all of them emitting that horrible sound like their heads were being held underwater as they screamed. It reverberated in my ears and made my skin break out in goosebumps. There were dozens of them, maybe a couple of hundred. Some were dragging a structure out with them, others hauling a writhing shape I couldn't quite see. They congregated in a small huddle, the center of which was obscured from my vision. I looked over to Joe Joe's herd and saw the fear in their eyes, so many of them shaking and their teeth bared. A primal fear we humans have largely lost in the safety of being the dominant species. But this night showed me we're not as powerful as we think we are. As the huddle broke away and began walking again towards the edge of their field, I saw what they'd been huddled around. Jojo. He was still alive, but barely moving and breathing heavily, his eyes glazed over. When he began to come to, he started shrieking like a fawn. It was unnerving. They dragged him to the structure, a primitive set of steps with a hollowed out a hole in its center, coated in a thick substance on the sides. Just large enough for Joe Joe to be thrown into. I watched these. Things. These not deer use their front hooves to hoist him up and into the hole, his screaming incessant the entire time. They stood around it, their necks cracked as they stared at the moon and shrieked. I looked up with them, wondering if what they sought was up there in the skies. A kind of primitive god for these creatures? I should have known better, of course. Whatever god these not deer prayed to. It didn't reside up above. No, it lurked deep below. A low groan called out in response. It possessed the same blood-filled lungs these monstrosities had, and Joe Joe's deer huddled closer together at its roar. Joe Joe had stopped moving, his crying completely gone as the not deer too fell silent and formed a circle around their altar, snorting in unison. It grew to a fever pitch before something began dragging Joe Joe from beneath, ripping at his limbs and pulling until a horrific squelch indicated the top had separated from the bottom. The hole spurted out blood and chunks of deer as the not deer celebrated, danced in the rain, 
and feasted on the pieces. One final roar rang out from the unseen creature. It shook the ground, and I felt my balance waver for just a moment, steadying myself on the car. I know I should have booked it out of there, but I was desperate to understand what I was seeing, rationalizing that perhaps this was a bizarre art piece. Maybe a protest from an animal rights group or even a bunch of edgy satanic teens? But that rational voice in my head grew very, very quiet when I grabbed my binoculars to look again. Every single one of them was staring up at me. Emotionless, black eyes fixated on my position. I didn't wait any longer, I drove out of there at a breakneck pace, not looking at either side of the park on my exit and damn near coming off the road with the lack of traction. As I got to the archway, my tires smashing against the grate, I'd inadvertently attracted the forest ranger on duty. He pulled me over and walked up to my window, a friendly smile on his face. You know there's a speed limit there for a reason, right son? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got a little spooked is all. I smiled back. Nerves shot to hell. He raised an eyebrow. You didn't break one of our rules now, did you? Oh no. I kept to them, it's just. Well. Joe Joe got attacked by the eastern deer and I don't think he's doing well, it was just a shock to take in. I figured telling a half-truth would be best, couldn't exactly say what I thought I'd really seen now, could I? That's so. Well, they make their choices carefully. We don't know much, but we do know not to interfere. This is how it's always been. Animals have strange practices, you get how it is. But, so long as they didn't look at you, you're fine. Dear remember faces, after all. Thanks for visiting, drive safe. He smiled again and tipped his hat before walking off to his station. My blood ran cold and I couldn't get those words out of my head on the entire drive home. But, so long as they didn't look at you, you're fine. I've not stepped outside my house since last night. I live in a remote part of the village and while I enjoy the privacy, it's been a hotbed for strange noises and unsettling emotions. Everywhere I go in my home, I feel like I'm being watched by those same vacant eyes. What happens now? What happens to those they look at? I can't get their eyes out of my head and I can't sleep worth a damn, either. This isn't going to end until I figure out what they want. I wish I had more for you. I wish I could tell you what the not deer were, what they prayed to, why they sacrificed, what the ranger knew. But there's so many unknowables that it makes my head spin. It's just like being deep in the woods. So many twists and turns, you never know which is the right path to take and what danger lurks behind every tree. I don't know what the deer are doing. I don't know what is going on at that park. But if you value your life, you'll stay far, far away from it. My name is John, I have always been an avid hiker and camper, growing up I was taught everything you needed to know to survive in the woods. My father taught me how to shoot, hunt, and plenty of bushcraft. Recently I had gotten into backpacking and really enjoyed it, I would try to go with friends but most of the time I ventured solo so I could go my own pace. After graduating college I decided to go backpacking at a national park that I had always wanted to go to. In the Sierras, none other than Yosemite. So, after telling family where I was going and getting everything I need to survive out there for a few weeks I made my way. It's about a 10 hour drive but I eventually made it and my god was this place beautiful. After a few days of hiking, everything went smoothly and I even saw a few deer. 
Got some good fish and was really enjoying the great outdoors. Things started getting weird after the first five days. Normally the sound of bugs and little critters at night accompanied me, but there were moments where it was completely silent, like absolutely no sound at all. What kind of spooked me was I would sometimes see weird lights in the distance, that I thought were other backpackers but it didn't look like normal lights from flashlights. More like orbs of light moving around. Another few days passed and I ran into another hiker, her name was Sandy and she was a pretty girl, 22 just like me. We made small talk and she asked if she wanted to hike together since we were going the same route, I agreed and we spent a few days hiking together as a matter of fact. At night during a campfire, I asked her if she saw any strange lights at night and she said she thought she did but took it as a distant backpacker. I didn't press on about it and just went on with the night. The next day we went our separate ways since I decided I was going back to the lodge to stock up on supplies, I then made camp at the furthest campground near a family with a small child. This is where things got. Really, really weird. It was late, the family was going to bed and I was hanging out by my campfire having myself a few beers, later the fire became basically ambers. I didn't want to go to bed yet so I was just sitting outside enjoying the peaceful sounds of the night. When suddenly it went quiet again, that same era quietness as before. Then I saw some movement by the family's camp, I couldn't really tell due to distance and the dark but I heard a zipper being undone. I made the decision to shine my flashlight near their campsite, normally this would be rude but something did not feel right and I could have sworn I saw a figure of something near their tent. It couldn't have been the parents since I saw them go to bed with their child when my fire was dying down. Once my light got near the figure I saw something big, like a bear but it didn't look like a normal bear. Then as I moved the light right on the tent it had the child in its arm and darted out the campsite so fast, faster than anything that size could move. I was shocked but I got my composure together real quick and blew my survival whistle. Tent lights began to turn on from nearby and the family woke up and what I could tell was a panicked where is he? Referring to their child. I yelled that someone abducted him and I joined them to go alert the park ranger. A search and rescue were immediately started, I don't know if they ever found the kid or not. All I did was give my side of the story and once I was cleared I went back to my travels. I mean I was getting tired when this happened so it could have been a bear, but the way it had that kid in its arm. Bears don't do that to people. I quickly left that area the following day and though it was really hard for me I hoped for the best for the family. This next story really creeped me out, not to the point where I ended my trip but really made me question if I should continue on. It was late dusk, I was fishing near a river hoping to get a few fish for dinner. Then, at the corner of my eye, I saw across the river those same lights in the sky, closer this time. I gazed back towards the river and I shit you not I saw what appeared to be two figures walking near the fire pit I made. They were skinny, about 7 feet tall and had really big hands and making some sort of clicking sounds. I noped the F out of there and decided I would camp elsewhere that night. Safe to say I didn't sleep much that night. This is the last story I have of my trip that pretty much sealed the deal for me, out of all the weird things I saw this. I can't explain. I ran into Sandy by sheer luck, asked her how she was and if anything weird has happened since we went our separate ways. She said no and was kind of worried about my question and asked me what did I mean by weird? I told her about the family with the missing child and she had the face of someone who just heard their family member got cancer. I didn't mention the entities by the river as I didn't want to frighten her. 
She said she and her friend Emily had been backpacking and were going to the top of some dome and asked if I wanted to join. I agreed, and we made our way to hike that day to the top of this dome peak. After a night of having a few drinks and good conversation, we all went to bed. In the middle of the night I had to pee really bad, so I unzipped my tent. Got out and did my business and right as I made my way back I saw Emily just standing by the cliff looking out. I asked her what the hell she was doing is it so late, she didn't say anything but I have to go. I told her go where? It's late you really should go to bed, and don't get too close to the edge you're going to fall off. She only responded, I'm. Okay. Be back to bed soon. I found this whole conversation odd but decided to just go back to bed. In the morning I was awoken by Sandy, she was in a panic tone and said John, where's Emily? I said she's not in her tent? Maybe she went to look at the view, she was out last night doing that. But when we looked she wasn't there, we could not find any trace of her friend. We looked for an hour in the woods nearby calling for her name but no answer. We were about to call an SOS when we came back to our campsite we saw Emily, right by the same cliff I saw her at last night. Sandy shouted Emily where did you go? We thought we lost you. Emily didn't respond, she looked like she was in a trance and began making her way closer to the edge of the cliff. Sandy said in a concerned voice Emily? What are you doing? Get back here you're going to close to the... Right as she was at the edge she broke out of her trance and turned her head to Sandy and back to her feet in a look of confusion. Emily said what? Why am I outside my tent? She took a step back and turned to make her way back to us. Sandy spoke, what are you talking about Emily? But after Emily took that first step back to us. She. I can't explain it other than one moment she was making her initial step to go back to our campsite and the next she was flung straight into the air like a rag doll by some unknown force. Emily screamed. Sandy screamed Emily. I was in a state of shock and then we heard a loud but distant thud. We didn't even bother to grab our gear. I just grabbed Sandy's hand and told her. We need to leave now. Sandy was shocked, tears in her eyes but I broke her out of her state of shock by telling her. Run. She managed to pull herself together and we ran. We ran for what felt like hours but eventually, we made it back to the lodge. The staff asked if everything was okay and I just said. In an out of breath tone. Call the rangers, our friend fell off a cliff. It's been a few days since then. Sandy and I spoke to the rangers and search and rescue personnel and told them where Emily had fallen. At first, they thought we could have had something to do with it but given how far she fell off the cliff or thrown I should say. And us passing the polygraph test, we were cleared of suspicion. What was even more strange was the rangers immediately dropped their investigation and began to call in the FBI. The sheriff sat me down and asked me simply son, what really happened out there? I couldn't hold it in any longer. I told him what really happened and when he asked Sandy if this was true, she agreed. The sheriff took a long sigh and said that's what I figured, no way anyone could have pushed her that far off the cliff, let alone other things we found. I said, what other things? He only replied with that is none of your concern. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or 
anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The FBI will take over from here. I probably do not need to tell you this, but I highly advised you call the rest of your trip off. We were let go and given a hotel for the night to stay at to gather our composure. But before leaving I spoke to a search and rescue officer and I asked them if they found Emily. He said they did but it was. Strange. Having fallen off the cliff one would think they would find her body in such a way it was clear they died from a fall. But he said they found her body but that her eyes and tongue were completely gone. That's all I could get out of him. The following day Sandy and I exchanged contact info and went our separate ways, before we left she grabbed my hand and said I'm really glad I met you John, and I'm sorry our trip had to end this way. But I'm glad we made it out alive. I won't forget you, please be safe. She gave me a hug, kissed my cheek, and got in her car, and drove off. I since have been doing a lot of reading on missing person cases, primarily missing 411, and realized that there is a surge of missing people in this national park, as well as others. The incident with Emily is very similar to a few cases I have come across. I do still hike, and backpack. Sometimes Sandy joins me too. Though even with my new perspective and safety measures, the way Emily was flung off that cliff in Yosemite. I don't think I will ever go back. Someone came into the visitor center wearing one of those realistic wolf head masks instead of a COVID mask. Like the kind where the jaw moves when they talk. I looked up and saw this dude coming in and legit wondered if I was about to get robbed but he just got a map and asked about birds and then left and took the mask off. Somebody once dumped a bunch of live chickens in the woods and my co-workers and I had to try to catch them. Lots of people were driving by and they would see the parked police car off to the side of the road with the lights flashing and they'd slow down all worried and then they'd see us sprinting after chickens and start cracking up. There was once a beaver just lying next to a slightly elevated footpath by the pond, like literally if you knelt down you could have touched it. We all assumed it was dying but partway through the day it moved to a more shady spot, and then in the evening it got up and swam away. I don't know what the F was up with that dude. This isn't quite as odd but it just happened today. We got some new kayaks a while ago and I was helping some volunteers go out in them today. We took one of the boats down and it had an old bird's nest under the seat, so naturally we chucked the nest off to the side and I commented that they clearly hadn't cleaned these boats before they sent them to us. A minute later someone goes there's babies in there. Sure enough, we had just yeeted a fresh nest of baby birds onto the beach. 
two of them had fallen out and they were just barely growing feathers. I scooped them back in and put the nest on the next kayak on the rack. The parents found it, but were visibly confused. I felt so bad, those baby birds were probably like what the F just happened. When I was in my late teens or early 20s, 1988, my friend Danny and I decided to hitchhike out to my grandma's house 16 miles outside of Steelville, Missouri on Highway 8. We used to hitchhike a lot so it was no big deal. We left from St. Louis, Missouri early in the morning going west on Highway 44. We had our backpacks, some food, and cash. We were planning to buy beer and party with my cousins out there in the woods. It was very smooth at first. We got a ride very quick. The person took us about halfway to Cuba, Missouri which was our exit Highway 19. We had a long slow period between rides and we just walked and talked for several hours, stopping along the woods by the highway to rest and eat. We finally reached Cuba from a second ride just around rush hour. Yes, this was a work week. It was about 4.30 p.m. While in Cuba we didn't get any rides so we decided to walk the 10 miles to Steelville, Missouri. We stopped at a store before you get out of town and I bought a box of sugar smack cereal and a big bottle of fruit punch. By this time, it was about 6.30 p.m. We were young so walking was enjoyable. We did a lot of walking. So we just walked a few miles and then a Missouri state trooper pulled just ahead of us and stopped. He waited for us to walk up and then he got out of his car. He asked what we were doing on the two-lane blacktop road walking. I told him we were going to my grandma's house, so he took us to Steelville Police Station which was on the way to my grandma's house where Danny and I were going, so that was cool. The highway patrol officer leaves us at the Steelville Police Station. They verify our story. I told him my grandma's phone number and they called and she said, yes, the boys come out to stay from time to time. So the Steelville police officer said okay, I will give you a ride. I thought, yes. By this time it was 8.30 pm. So we all get into the squad car and the officer drives us to the end of town on Highway 8 and tells us to get out as that was as far as he could go. By now it's almost dark. There was nobody on the road and Danny and I have about 15 miles to walk, or get a ride if we're lucky. Since it's in the work week everyone is at home so we're walking down the middle of Highway 8 eating sugar smacks and drinking fruit punch. No big deal. We were thinking of walking for a while and then sleeping out in the woods and then finishing the walk in the morning. It was summer and warm. We must have walked about an hour and it is pitch black out on the road. Cloudy skies. No moon. Almost no one driving down the road. If they did, they were not stopping for us. At this time I stopped to retie my boot. Danny yelled, did you see that? I said, no, what was it? He said, something jumped over the blacktop road and ran into the woods. I said, it was a deer. He said, no, it jumped over the blacktop. A deer doesn't do that. It's over 20 feet wide. He yells. He's jumping around, freaking me out. So we were arguing about this event for some time and then we both saw this blinding orange, hot looking glow slicing through the clouds like a knife. A hot orange glow. I said, it's a helicopter. But it was moving very fast plus it was going up and back, making incredible turns. We were amazed. By this time, it must have been 11.30 pm. We may have walked 4 or 5 miles.
We were not in a hurry. We still had 12 or so miles to go. Then it happened. The glowing orange light came back around toward us. And by this time it was over us. I knew it wasn't a helicopter and fear went through me like never before. This thing was the size of a three-story building without making a sound. It was the last thing I remembered, seeing this huge glowing orange craft over us. The next thing I remember, I was waking up inside of a large glass cylinder. It went from the floor to the ceiling. I woke up feeling very calm and wondering where I was. By the time my eyes adjusted to the light, I was in the craft. I was scared again. That's when I heard a voice in my head, stay calm, it said. I looked straight ahead and saw a reptile being about 8 feet tall. It was wearing some kind of a breastplate and ankle and shin covers. He told me his name. I don't remember. It was hard to say. I forgot. Then I looked next to me, on my right, and there was Danny. He was in a cylinder too, but he was frozen in place. With his arms on the glass over his head and his fist looked like he was beating on the glass. This reptile creature told me not to worry. He was not to be harmed. I looked around the craft and the ceiling was tall. It must have been two stories high but at a floor level of about 10 to 15 feet. The walls were gold with every color of light and it was circular very clean and shiny. Then the reptile started to ask if was interested in the ship. I said, how does it work? The reptile started to tell me two magnetic fields are holding back the charged plasma stream which travels around in a ring at high speeds and high temperatures and gives the ship energy. Most I do not remember. It seems I understood what it was telling me but this reptile was planning on taking us somewhere. I told him I did not want to go. He told me I was royalty. My blood was royalty and I would be treated like a king after we arrived. I told the reptile, no, please take us back to the road. Let us go. It did not argue with me. It just nodded. It then told me I should not be with this one. He meant Danny. The reptile is burnt into my memory. The shape and color, the face and the head. It was not at all aggressive to me. The hands had five fingers and it had a very muscular body. It was standing next to a control panel in the middle of this large room about 10 feet away from me. The light was so bright but not blinding. I could see everything perfectly. He told me about a tragic happening to the earth that is to be, but said, we will come for you before it happens. I had no idea what he was talking about. All I knew was I wanted off and right now. Our backpacks were still on our backs and I was ready for anything. His face was very bony with green-brown scales. Tiny ones. And the breastplate went to the middle of where the waist would be just above a gold-black belt or utility belt. It was wide, 6 or 8 inches wide. The plate was gold and black with silver. It didn't wear any pants. I didn't notice any genitals in the crotch area. It did have a short tail that didn't touch the floor. It wore ankle and shin guards up to the knees. I really didn't feel comfortable being there talking with this creature. I just wanted to leave. The next thing I remember we were in a pickup truck. This old man was driving and we were almost at my grandma's road. He stopped the truck and said. Here you go boys. Danny and I got out and we walked up to my grandma's house. She was up because of the call earlier. She was waiting for us. I had no idea what time it was. We walked into her house and it was 1am in the morning. I thought it must have been 4 or 5. I told my grandma what happened and if she believed us. She told me, yes, I believe you and, 
Yes, I've seen them for a long time. Danny and I sat on my grandma's front porch all night, waiting to see it again, but it didn't show up. Years later I started to remember more of this encounter. It's hard for me to believe this reptile let us go and didn't take us away. I never did find out what happened to our sugar smacks and fruit punch. Or who the old man was. The creature most likely wanted a quick snack. I was afraid he was going to eat us. My grandfather had a tough life. He grew up with his many siblings being passed around through homes and orphanages. He would usually tell me a lot of funny stories because I was still young before he passed. But one story was different and I didn't remember it until just now. I have no proof other than my word. One night, when he was 10 or so, he'd gone to bed at one of the orphanages he once stayed at. It was really late at night and he was having a hard time sleeping. But when he did fall asleep he had weird dreams where he made it sound like he was having an out-of-body experience. He was seeing himself sleeping in his bed that night like he was in the body of another person entirely. He described it like he was standing over himself, so I have to assume he was much taller. Then it all ends because he wakes up and opens his eyes. He said standing over him surrounding his bed, only the back end was touching the wall, were five or so really tall dark people. Dark as in shadowy. He couldn't see their faces at all. He said he didn't feel scared, and that he closed his eyes again. Then he said he fell asleep again and woke up in the morning. That was how he ended the story. No payoff. He never told the story to me again and he's been dead for a long time so there's no way to find out anything else. Based on vague memories of how he ended up telling me the story, I believe he was trying to say they were aliens. As a kid, I remember saying that's awful at the end because I think at the time I thought he was implying they had hurt him badly. But looking back I don't think he meant it as a scary story. He was very quiet after. My step-grandfather was great. He was a father figure for me and I think I just wanted to share his story to honor him. I miss him a lot, and I do want to take his word for it here. I don't remember him as a liar, especially when communicating with me. This was a few years ago. Was in the car with my mom on the way home from visiting a friend. It was winter, in southern Canada so there was a ton of snow and driving was hard. The car ends up getting stuck in the deep snow. For those who don't know, it is extremely difficult to get a car out of the snow because the wheels will lose grip and just keep spinning. Often you need to get a tow truck, tie chains in the wheels, put wooden planks down, or have at least three strong guys push the car out or all of the above. As my mom and I were figuring out what to do as we had nothing to get the car unstuck, I saw a girl standing about 10 feet away. She must have been crossing the road and noticed us. The thing is I didn't see her walk up to us. She looked to be in her early 20s. She just looked like a normal person, with dark shoulder length hair. Was wearing black winter clothes. She had on a toque and a backpack as well. She signaled that she was going to try pushing the car from behind. We nod, my mom tries driving but no luck. My mom said, go out and help her push the car. As I went to unbuckle my seat belt, the car went forward as if there was no snow at all. As I said before, it doesn't just get unstuck that easy. As we drove, we both turned to wave and thank the girl but she was gone. There is nowhere she could have gone in such a short amount of time. 
And to be honest there is no way she could have pushed the vehicle by herself out of the snow. We haven't seen her since, and I always wonder who or what she was. Once babysat my two cousins, brother and sister, along with my little brother at their house one summer. I was downstairs on the computer in the main room when the brother and sister started fighting. It all began because the brother was snooping on his sister's phone calls with their mom, my aunt, using the other house phone. He quickly ran upstairs and locked himself in the master bedroom using one of those old-fashioned metal locks to get away from her. As I ran upstairs to stop him from getting a beat down the sister SWAT team kicked the door open, breaking the latch and just about got to him, until I split them up and told her to go to her room next door and dragged him downstairs to sit with me and my brother while I went back on the computer. All of a sudden, I heard a similar kick to a door and thought, what the heck is she doing up there? The boys looked just as confused because it was such a loud noise and we thought maybe she was still tripping out. So right away, I ran to the bottom of the stairs to tell her to calm down, but she already there at the top stairs yelling, tell RJ to leave me alone. Leave my door alone. My heart dropped when I told her, no one came up there. She turned her back to the wall and slid to the floor, screaming in horror. I ran up there shaking and brought her down slowly trying to process how that hell that sound was made when she was the only one upstairs. Finally when we got down, I told the boys to get outside and we all sat on the front steps waiting for our grandmother to show up. She investigated the house and tried to say it was just a truck passing by but we all knew deep down that there was no friggin way it was a truck. Few years later when they moved out my cousin's dad finally fessed up that the previous owner who was an old man had fallen down those stairs, broke his neck and laid there for a week before anyone found him. To this day I think my cousin pissed him right off for breaking his bedroom lock and did the same right back to her. I once was living in a house in Alberta before COVID, I had a creepy basement that I would smoke up in. I was aware that this home was haunted, but I was still kinda skeptical of ghosts. I was smoking a joint in the basement when a towel we used as a curtain on the window across from me was violently wrenched off the window. I sprinted up the stairs after hearing something growling in the dark laundry room, and I swear to god I heard something chasing me up the stairs. And when I opened the basement door again, everything was normal. Except for the towel, and wet paw prints on the unfinished basement floor, and the dogs are always too scared go to the basement. Still gives me goosebumps recalling it. I have handfuls of small occurrences but this is one always stuck with me. I was babysitting my cousins pretty early in the morning. They were still asleep so I was having breakfast and quietly watched TV. All of the sudden one of the little doors from the TV console popped open, even though it should be impossible because their child locked. I thought it was weird but maybe it was just a fluke and closed it but right as I did so the baby monitor I had with me started beeping loudly from low battery even though the mom handed it to me from the charger earlier. It definitely made me jump but I still tried to stay logical but when I put the monitor on the charging port it started going crazy, it was all loud static that also sounded like voices and then it was quiet. Until I heard a man's heavy breathing coming out of it. At that point I was frozen until I realized I need to run to baby's room cause what if some freak was actually there, but there was nothing. 
baby sleeping peacefully in his crib, the young sister was also still sleeping in her room. I called my mom and let myself freak out with her. After that nothing happened except for one time I saw someone go behind the couch, and of course I thought it's the sister trying to scare or prank me so I came around and said I know you're back there but there was just empty space. She was still in her room. Of course things only happened when I was there to babysit but I tried to ignore everything because I don't want to feed, whatever it was, more energy so I shrugged it all off and eventually the activity stopped. Three Lake Superior Steamer Crews Report Huge Kite-Shaped UFO Crews aboard Three Lake Superior Steamers reported observing the anomaly at the same time, even though the ships were many miles apart. This occurred on July 10, 1968. It was shaped like a large kite and apparently was much larger than an airplane. It was silver in color and shiny and it hovered over Three Lake Steamers on Lake Superior for more than two hours before speeding away in a westerly direction. What was it? That's what nearly 100 seamen on the steamers Ben Morel, James A. Farrell, and Matthew Andrew would like to know. For lack of a better term, the UFO was sighted near Caribou Island in eastern Lake Superior on the evening of July 10, 1968. At that time the three freighters were upbound on the lake and were south of Caribou, the Morel, and Andrews en route to Silver Bay and the Farrell to two harbors. A letter to the Duluth, Minnesota News Tribune described the object and requested assistance as to its identity. The object, the letter states, was huge, silver in color, and shaped like a large kite with small wings protruding from the sides. The letter, postmarked July 12 at Silver Bay, was signed Interested Seaman. Two of the three steamers returned to the head of the lake area on July 18. U.S. Steel's Farrell to Harbors and Wilson Marine Transit Company's Morel to Silver Bay. Officers on both verified the contents of the letter. A spokesman for the Andrews, owned by the Hanna Mining Company, said the Caribou incident was reported to Hanna personnel in Cleveland. Captain Tom Leroy, Two Harbors, skipper of the Farrell, said the object was first reported to his attention by his third mate, then on watch. It resembled an enormous kite, said Captain Leroy, and had a point on one end. It followed us along for about two hours. The three freighters were running at full speed, about 12 knots. The captain estimated the object to be at an altitude of 5 to 8 miles and noted that the sun kept shining on it for some time after it went down. He said he did not discount the possibility of it being a plane since he heard one shortly after darkness set in Captain Charles K. Valentine, Duluth, Minnesota, in command of the Morel, commented, Whatever it was, it was weird. He described the object as being similar to a ball, but also having something like a pigeon tail fanned out. The Duluthian suggested that the object had to be high because high-powered binoculars didn't change the size seen by the naked eye. Captain Valentine theorized that the object may have been a weather balloon but his third mate, Arnold Branstrom, Toledo, Ohio, discounts that possibility. Brandstrom said he witnessed a transport plane pass over the three ships, possibly the same plane heard by Captain Leroy, and contended that the object was much larger than the plane. A weather balloon couldn't match the size of that thing, the mate added. The CHEO officer said the object was first sighted about 7 p.m. and remained above the steamers until nearly 9.30 p.m. Then it suddenly moved westerly at a pretty fast rate of speed and disappeared, Brandstrom said.
On February 14, 2024, at around 7.15 p.m., I decided to step away from the PWHL hockey game live stream I was watching, Toronto with Boston, and take my dog for his nightly walk. The suburb I live in is fairly new and a good 10-minute walk from the local Walmart. I used to walk my pooch around 9.30 p.m. but found that there were fewer dog walkers out at 7 to 7.30, so I altered my scheduled walk time. My dog is quite large and gets a little crazy around other dogs so I look to avoid them as much as possible. Tonight, February 14, 2023, was a little chilly but clear when we set off. Typically I walk around a small park area, and then we make our way home, like a big square. As we walked, I couldn't help but stare at the sky, admiring the brightness of the stars and the overall clearness of the skyline. Not a cloud in sight. I continued to walk, half paying attention to the dog, and half paying attention to the sky. Then I noticed something odd there among the twinkling stars, a sort of greenish colored light. It was at a fairly high altitude and didn't really stand out at first. The only thing that set this apart from the other stars was that it appeared blurry or hazy and, yes, green. I didn't so much care about the color, but the blurriness really got my attention. It didn't make sense. It was like everything else in the sky, the moon, and the stars, were completely in focus except this green star and I could not see any clouds anywhere. Since it was completely stationary, I reasoned that a small cloud must be in front of it obscuring it somewhat, causing it to have this hazy appearance. I couldn't see the cloud but I assumed it must be there. I carried on walking. As my dog and I rounded the second corner, I looked back to see if the cloud had dissipated and that's when I noticed that this green light was now moving, slowly, but moving, nonetheless. From what I could tell, it had been stationary but now it was very subtlety moving. I even wondered if my eyes were playing tricks on me, but no, it was definitely moving and it remained enveloped in that strange haze. There was no cloud in front of it. The object itself seemed to be creating the cloud if that makes sense. A Globemaster, I'm no plane expert but I think that's what it was, had been doing flyovers, basically loops, for some time before I took the dog for the walk. As I watched the hazy object, the Globemaster once again passed over, left to right from my field of vision, at a much lower altitude. The hazy object was so high up, that I doubted the pilot of the Globemaster even took notice of it. Eventually, the plane passed out of sight. It was at that time the object had moved, in a straight line path, right to left from my field of vision, some distance across the sky. I couldn't tell if it had gotten closer to us but I felt that I could definitely see it better. Then something weird happened. The haze or clouds surrounding the object seemed to slowly expand outwards, noticeably growing in size. It kind of reminded me of the weird spiral from the SpaceX missile launches, only less spirally and hazier. It wasn't like the object had flown into a cloud, rather, it looked like the cloud or haze was expanding out from the object, like it was creating the haze. It eventually looked like a small circular segment of the sky was haze or smoke with this single blurry green light in the middle. Suddenly, from my right, a helicopter could be heard. I glanced over and noticed the light from the helicopter approaching, heading in the same general direction the light was, only much lower. I looked back at the haze or object and, in front of my eyes, it completely dissipated or vanished. By the time the helicopter passed by, we're talking seconds, there was not even a trace of it ever having been there. 
The time between the sudden expansion and complete disappearance was maybe 10 seconds. There was no haze, no smoke, and no greenish light, the sky was completely clear. I don't believe that the helicopter's arrival was due to the object, rather, it was just weird timing. Eventually, the copter passed out of sight. I noticed nothing else odd as we made the last leg of the park and headed for home. I checked the clock when I got back and it was 7.38 pm, which was pretty standard for us. Afterward, I began to wonder if the object, whatever it was, had exploded, but I doubted this. It didn't seem to explode, just the haze around it seemed to slowly expand and grow and the green light was still clearly visible in the center of it. And the smoke from an explosion would have lingered for some time and yet there was not a trace of the haze in the sky. Further, I doubt very much that the Trenton Air Base is testing out a SpaceX-like rocket over a populated city, so what was it? I have no idea, but it was certainly strange. Approximately 600 yards from the gas well site and traveling 25 miles per hour on a narrow road, a gas well driver saw a large, coarsely haired covered figure in the headlights of his truck along the driver's side. After initially thinking it was a stump, it stood there and looked at him as he was passing and then jumped into the thick brush behind itself, away from the road. He observed it to be 7 to 8 feet tall, very thickly built in the arms and legs with very large hands. It had a flat face, wide mouth, wide, and flat nose. He observed the large foot and toe pads as it turned and jumped in the brush. He contacted dispatch to inform them and the next day, the company's safety team reviewed the video and determined that it was not a bear. He verified that other co-workers had also seen a similar subject about four miles away at another well site. Some of those employees had also quit their jobs. He also confirmed with a local property owner that he had also heard, and recorded similar subjects in the area. Follow-up report. On August 7, 2019, Tim, who drives a truck servicing the gas wells in the area sees a Bigfoot. I did an investigation of the sighting. This video shows what we found. The figure is seen at the 156 to 159 point of the video. You may need to pause and screenshot to expand and see the figure. The black and white video is from the truck, showing the driver in his POV. The witness was driving his truck after dropping off his load at the gas well. Dirt or gravel two-lane road. As the witness approached a curve, his brakes made a high-pitched goose honk sound. What the witness thought was a tree stump, turned its head sharply at the noise, and then stepped over the wire fence, and walked off, dragging his leg through the brush as he stepped through it. The truck that the witness drives video records both outside and inside the cab perspective. The video shows a figure on the left, standing next to a mailbox and turning. Video inside the cab shows the witness's reaction. Witness description of the figure, approximately 7 to 8 foot tall, gray, brown, green hair. Thighs as thick as a 5 gallon bucket. The scariest for me was my own fault. I did a spell without protecting myself. A spell I should not have been doing in the first place. There's certain kinds of spells that while we can do them, we should not do them. I also summoned a deity from another religion to assist me with it. If you are going to work with deities, some call them demons, you need to develop a relationship with them. Offerings, meditation, and lighting candles for them. 
It should be a give and take relationship. As soon as that spell was complete, the entire room filled with the stench of sulfur or rotting eggs. It is like it announced its presence to me. The air felt thick and foreboding. I had never before or since smelled sulfur in that home. That smell isn't very common in this area. I've smelled it plenty in certain parts of Arizona, so I am familiar with it. We did have some strange things occur for a long time afterward in that room, and I started getting pretty bad sleep paralysis. Where I could feel something poking me really painfully. Whatever came in the room that day, felt powerful and ancient. But I never felt its presence again. I think the things that happened in that room afterward were because I'd opened a door and let lower entities in. The other entity felt like it was punishing a naughty child. It wanted to let me know it was displeased with me, and I knew what I'd done was wrong. But it left me alone afterward. Probably had more important things to deal with than me and my silly spell.